couple stories again. I grew up in East Germany when the wall was still up. Um, I had an opportunity to meet him down in Midland, got to talking, had to have him up. Him and I, because I, I was stationed in Berlin, him and I um, shared some of the same stories, some of the same places. So very, very um, excited to have him. You're going to be really encouraged today. Amen. Pastor Ingolf, come on. Okay, great. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's wonderful to, to be here in the house of God. I, before we start, I'd like to read the Bible verse or a few Bible verses to you. And this is the book of Philippians. Have you your Bible with you? Or your tablet, whatever you have, you know, take it out and... All right, Philippians, what I do is I will read it in German, so you hear, hear a little bit German language, and then pastor will read out of the American Bible. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. Ich will aber, dass ihr wisst, Brüder, dass meine Umstände mehr zur Förderung des Evangeliums ausgeschlagen sind, so dass meine Fesseln in Christus im ganzen Prätorium und bei allen anderen offenbar geworden sind. Und dass die meisten der Brüder im Herrn Vertrauen gewonnen haben durch meine Fesseln und vielmehr wagen, das Wort Gottes ohne Furcht zu reden. Amen. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me, now listen to this carefully because it ties into what he's saying. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. I thank you for your word. Yes. Holy Spirit, use me this morning and use my word, words uh, as, like a seed in open hearts. Holy Spirit, help me to preach your word. Help me, because without you, I can't do it. Bless everybody in this room and change our life in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Um, we, uh, I'm coming from a city. Um, the city is called Leipzig. And if you go to the map of Germany, you see the capital there. This is Berlin on the right side. And you go, uh, if you drive two hours south, uh, there's a city called Leipzig. And that's where I come from. Uh, we have about 500,000 people in our city. We had, uh, a few hundred years ago, uh, a great uh, choir leader. His name was John Sebastian Bach. Maybe you heard about him. Uh, we had uh, Robert Schumann, Felix Mendelssohn, Bartholdi, um, Richard Wagner. Um, a little bit north of us, there's uh, a city called Wittenberg, and that's where Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis. Uh, to the church door there in Wittenberg. Uh, I said, uh, two hours, Americans, they drive so slow, uh, so you probably need three hours. Uh, is there a police officer here? Okay, okay, so I can tell my story about, okay. I, uh, you know, when I came to America for uh, some of the first times, I, I didn't realize that in America is a speed limit. On the street. In Germany, we don't have a speed limit on our Autobahn. So you can go as fast as you want. And some areas, there are dangerous turns. And 
And so, of course, when I, uh, somebody gave me a call or I was renting a car when I flight into Los Angeles, I was going always 110, 120, 130 <laughs> miles per hour. Always on the left side, if somebody is in front of me, I put the blinker down, give him a little light, and they would move, you know. And because that's how, how we drive, and that's how it is. And, and so I had never a problem, but one day, one day, there was this cop behind me. I was on that speeding lane. In Germany, the speeding lane is the left lane. And everybody gets out. If you go slow, go out of that lane, you know. So I, I was in that speeding lane, and uh, I didn't have too much 95 miles. So I thought, okay. And there was this cop behind me. He had these lights on. This cop was there. And, and I thought, okay, I, I watched some movies here in America. A lot of criminals, the cops are uh, um, they following them. So I thought, he's after a criminal. And so I moved to that middle lane, and uh, the cop followed me. I thought, what's wrong with you, you know? Put, put my window down, gave him a sign, go over here. <laughs> I didn't know what's wrong, you know? So then he followed me, he gave me a sign, get out here. And I stopped the car on the side, and I jumped out of my car, screaming at the cop, are you crazy? Why are you stopping me, you know? In, in Germany, it's very disrespectful to sit in your car. We have no guns, you know, we have no guns. So I jumped out, ran, and the, the cop, he took his revolver out, pointed that thing at me, and said, get in your car. And so I thought, okay. Uh, I jumped into this car and uh, talked to my wife and said, honey, pray, I don't know what's going on here. Why he pointed that gun at me? And, and so the cop, he came to the car and he asked me for a driver's license and I didn't have my driver's license with me. So uh, I gave him my passport and I have a pilot's license. I thought I'd give him the pilot's license. It will work for him too. So, um, and he came back. There was a little smile in his face. He came back and, and smiled a little bit and I thought that's a good sign, you know. So he said, you're from Europe? I said, yes, sir. And he's, I said, is, is there anything wrong? Why are you stopping me? What, what is the wrong? What's the deal here? And he gave the coolest answer a cop ever gave to me. He, you know what he said? You fly too low here, buddy. <laughs> because I had my pilot's license here. You fly too low. And then I said, you know, he said, you know, uh, uh, I like you and you don't know, you're from Europe, they drive crazy there. So he said, you know what, I push you down to uh, 85. The whole reason was in the California, they arrest you if you were 20 miles over the limit, they put you in jail. And so he don't like to put me in jail. So uh, I had uh, grace, mercy, everything was there. and. And then I, in, in Eastern Europe, you know, I come from Eastern Europe, every cop was corrupt. So I asked him, I said, sir, is there anything I can do for you? <laughs> you put it down, you know. <laughs> he really a mean look, he said, shut up. Don't ever ask a policeman uh, to do that. And so that day I violated everything. <laughs> I was going too fast, screaming at a cop. Uh, tried to make him corrupt. Uh, everything, everything was wrong. It had no driver's license. And I learned one thing that day. 
You know, in every country there are different laws, and you better know those laws. Uh, because, and it's the same with our Bible. There are some laws in that book, and we better know it. Because it can work for us, it can work against us, it can be really, really bad. So better go to all the services, all the seminars, all the conferences uh, Pastor has, you know. Uh, this morning, I'd like to talk to you a little bit uh, about your, or let's, let's say it, the title of the message is, is You Are Not Checkmate. And um, there is my, my son, uh, I have two sons, one daughter, and my son, he's an artist. He's doing sculpturing and, and uh, paintings, and, and um, then he started uh, doing his master degree in, in theology. And I didn't like that too much because all these modern universities, they, they didn't preach faith, so they squeezed the faith out of you. And, and I said, you know, uh, why are you doing this? And he said, you know, uh, in the past, there was some major mistake. Uh, artists, they made some major mistakes, and uh, I don't like to have that. I need the whole uh, background and uh, the environment, some of the Bible figures in. And, and so I show you two pictures. One picture, uh, it is the, the other one, please. The other one. This one. This is a sculpture from uh, a, a great artist. Uh, he lived in, uh, born in Florence, uh, 1474, died in Rome, 1564. And this is from the great Michelangelo. It's a sculpture, and actually, it's a sculpture of Moses. And if you look at his head, he has two horns. And I always was wondering why Michelangelo did this, Moses, with horns. There's a very simple answer. In the time when they translated the Hebrew Bible or the Greek Bible into Latin, the Vulgata, when they did this, uh, they translated the word shining. When Moses came from the mountain, his face was shining. They translated this as horns. So when Moses came from the mountains, they translated that, that he got horns. And that's why you find in every sculpture from Michelangelo or every picture, every Little thing, when he painted Moses or something, he, Moses always had horns. And that's crazy. I mean, it didn't hurt anybody, but it's misguide people, you know, mislead people. Um, and then we have another picture. And uh, that picture is called Checkmate. And it's, it's part of German literature. On the left side, you have the devil and on the right side, there's Dr. Faust. Maybe you know the story about Dr. Faust. He was a scientist. He uh, was seeking more intelligence, more knowledge. And, and so he made a deal with the devil. And he said, if, if you give me more knowledge, uh, I, you can have my soul. And that's the deal always here on that planet. It's always dealing. The devil always wants your soul. And so here... Uh, you see, the devil is very uh, encouraged, almost happy. By the way, that uh, picture is in the Louvre in Paris. 
uh, it's there. And on the right side, uh, if I had a more clearer picture, you would see that Faust is really discouraged because his white king on the chessboard uh, looks like has no move anymore. And it looked like that the devil, he played the dog figures, uh, the devil won that thing already. And so uh, in um, uh, 1837, there was a man born, his name was uh, Paul Murphy. And he was, the guy was a, uh, a ch uh, chess champion. He was a genius. And he was so incredibly good. He won one championship after another. And so he died 1884, in, and he was from New Orleans. And he traveled one time to a championship in Paris. And then he uh, walked into the Louvre, this great uh, exhibition place there. And uh, he was standing right before that picture. And he looked to the picture, and he realized, he said, you know, Something is wrong. He went to the other side, was looking for 15 minutes there, 15, walked to the other side, and then he said, something is wrong with that picture. He said, it looks like the devil has defeated him, but Faust's king, the, the white figure, has another move, and he can uh, play the devil checkmate. That's the story. He said, we need to find that paint uh, that artist because he had to paint it different or give that uh, picture another title. Because his king has the last move and can defeat the devil. That's the whole thing. Um, and so many times, and that's my, my message, so many times we feel like we are already with our back on the wall. So many times you feel defeated Maybe you think you have to file bankruptcy. Some of you probably have a sickness in your body. Some of you probably uh, uh, are addicted to things. What I'm saying is uh, our king, our king always has the last move and always defeats the devil. That's the whole story. You know, I was thinking on Daniel... When, he was, uh, when they put him in the lion's den, it looks like checkmate. It looks like he's done. Uh, he's dead already. But our king always has the last move. There was this lady. She was caught in adultery. All these religious fanatics, they came and they tried to stone her. And Jesus wrote something down in the sand. There's a picture in Florence, uh, in a basilica on that market square in Florence, Italy. And there is this picture when Jesus, uh, right in the sand, and that painter, this artist, he wrote in that sand all the sins of the Pharisees. And so he believed that's why they dropped all the stones, because Jesus knew all their sins. So what I'm saying is, uh, when this lady, when she was caught in adultery, uh, it was not the last move. It was, she was not checkmate. Jesus saved her life. And uh, then also there was this murder who was hanging right next to Jesus. Uh, the devil already thought he, he has him now. He's on the cross. He will die. I have his soul. But 
Jesus, uh, that, that man repented on the cross, and Jesus immediately said, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, he was not checkmate. He felt like checkmate, but our king always had the last move. And then uh, Jesus, finally, the devil, he celebrated a party when the Roman soldiers nailed him on that cross. And his party was for three days. He really knew now he's dead, the one who would kill him. And then after three days, and it looked like, and I believe Jesus felt like he's checkmate because all the sin, all the sickness, everything was thrown at him. And uh, after three days, there was a voice, and God called him out of the pit of hell. And God uh, said, you are not checkmate. God always has a last move. You know, um, uh, pastor uh, introduced me and, and said, you know, uh, coming from East Germany, uh, you have to understand when uh, World War II was over, uh, the allies, America, Great Britain and France and Russia, they divided Germany in four pieces. And I was growing up on the east side. My grandfather, and uh, that is 75 years ago, was fighting for Adolf Hitler in his army and the Americans, they captured him, they brought him to America, and he was in a labor camp as a prisoner of war uh, in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. And last year, I was preaching in an African-American church uh, close to Norfolk, Virginia, and I asked the pastor, and I said, Pastor, would you please uh, show me that place where they put all the German prisoners in? And he showed that place to me. And uh, I thought, I had a few minutes there, you know, and I thought, it's so interesting. God totally changed my family tree, my spiritual family tree. You know, um, I was not long time ago in uh, Farmington Hills in, uh, uh, close to Detroit. Uh, there is a Holocaust museum. I stayed uh, uh, there at a hotel, and I walked over. And when I came to, uh, to the entrance of the Holocaust museum, there was a uh, train wagon, uh, and they um, transported the Jews uh, to the concentration camp, to the death camps. When I looked to that uh, one of this one uh, on that little not little on the train wagon, and I looked on that little box on the side. There was the destination and where the train car came from, it came from my town. And it was transporting Jews to Auschwitz-Birkenau. What I'm saying is, uh, we all have some baggage with us. We all have a history. I come from a family that was all kinds of abuse. And we all carried it with, the, with us, and sometimes we feel like Checkmate. How can I get out of this circle? How can I get out of this family tree? I don't like to have this, this kind. And, and so uh, when my grandfather came back uh, to Germany, uh, my father, I think he was by that time 14, he was a teenager, and um, he told my father, he said, I was fighting for the wrong people, for the wrong ideology. You have to do better. I signed a piece of paper to the American government. Uh, I will never touch a gun. And he never did. So my father became a communist. 
And communists don't believe in God. They are atheists. So that's why I was not uh, uh, growing up in church. I never saw a church until I was 19 years old. Um, actually, I was 18 when uh, uh, I got a letter from the government and they said, uh, I have, they invited me to the communist army. It was not an invitation, you know, if you don't go, they put you in jail. So it was not really an invitation. But, yeah, but exactly. And, and you know, I, uh, somebody on my way to the communist army camp, somebody gave me a little Bible track. And later somebody gave me a Bible. And I started reading the Bible. In that time, I didn't know what was right or wrong. I lighted up a cigarette, had a glass of vodka, was reading one chapter in the Bible. Then I lighted up another one, drink another, have another drink, next chapter in the Bible. Another cigarette, another vodka. And some nights I was reading a lot, I tell you. I was reading a lot. <laughs> so, so, but then something unusual happened to me. Um, if you read the Word of God and you love the Word of God, God will change your desires. God will change your desires. Uh, Brother Samuel, he was my spiritual father, Lester Samuel, and he always said if people who are close to do something stupid, a sin or whatever, if they would read the Bible in that moment or just stand up and speak for five minutes, minutes in tongues, you will not do that stupid thing. It's true. So um, I, I was in the army, and so I was reading the Bible. And then I was coming to that scripture where it said that God will fulfill all your needs. And I thought, what is my biggest need? Thinking, a girl. You know, don't look so holy. I'm a guy. I said, God, if you can, please give me a girl. And please give me, not an ugly one, a beautiful one. <laughs> and, and God did. God gave me a beautiful wife. Um, I, I, I was praying, and uh, uh, then I had a little break from the army, a weekend vacation. I came home, and the guy who gave me the Bible... Uh, I asked him, is there a, a meeting somewhere or a church service? And he said, yeah, there's a youth meeting in the Lutheran church. And I said, oh, there are some girls there. And he said, there are more girls than guys. I said, then let's go now. Don't waste any time, so let's go now. So we came to that Lutheran church, and there was more girls than guys. I didn't pay any attention to the preacher, you know. <laughs> Because I was, I was praying for a girl, so I'm expecting that God will send me one. So don't blame me. And then I looked to that building, and in the corner there was a beautiful girl. And I said, Jesus, do you see what I see? I'd like, oh, help me, God. So after service, she walked down, and I walked up, and then... And then I was a little afraid because I didn't know how to talk to a church girl. So I said hardly nothing, and, uh, and then uh, uh, she was gone. And I was, had to go to the army camp, and it took me another year. I prayed. I said, God, give me a second chance, you know. <laughs> so I prayed, and 
one year later, I was out of the army. I came to this same place, ch uh, Lutheran church meeting, uh, youth meeting. And uh, this time, the preacher preached a message, that, and his title was, If Two Agree Together, Whatever They Believe, They Can Have. So whatever means whatever. And two means two. The only thing I was, nobody teach me, so the only thing was uh, I can't pray for a girl and if she's not agreeing, you know, but I, I thought I took it totally out of the context. So pastor preached this message. I jumped to the podium and said, pastor, do you believe what you preached? He said, yeah. I said, turn around. Do you see that girl there? He said, yes. I said, I want that you agree with me. I'd like to marry that girl. <laughs> he, he looked at me like, man, but did you smoke, you know? <laughs> And he said, I, I'm not sure if that's working. I said, shut up. You told everybody. <laughs> I said, you told everybody if two agree together, whatever they believe they can have. And now you won't agree with me. He said, I'm not sure. I said, shut up. I'm doing the praying. You only say amen. Because amen means I agree, right? So I, I really prayed full of faith, you know really believed for that girl and then I had to kick him in his side because he was not willing to say amen to this you know? <laughs> finally he said amen and I tell you I'm 38 years married to that girl in this coming September uh, I'm not sure if she lost a little bit eyesight because she thinks still that I'm looking good, you know. So I, I, I always pray Jesus keep her that way, you know. <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm saying is if two agree together, whatever they believe, they can have, you know. But I learned something on our honeymoon. My wife, she told me on that first day when I met you, I prayed to God. And I said, Jesus, if he becomes a Christian or is a Christian, uh, that would work for me so uh, and and she told me that and i realized uh i was more in agreement with her than with that pastor you know so when i came out of the army um you know or let's say it, it, when i became a christian in the army there was no preacher there was no christian nobody preached to me the only thing i had was a bible so I was reading the Bible during my army time every day. And it's good to do that. Um, one day, uh, they found my Bible. Uh, they looked through all, uh, through all my uh, closet, probably because uh, the communists, they put me, they, their plan was actually to put me on the Berlin Wall. And Berlin, uh, East Germany was dark, lack on everything and nobody would ever come from the west side into our country our people they was leaving the country for a better life in west germany and so that's why they put soldiers on the wall they built that wall and because i had no relatives in west germany uh, they thought okay he would be a good man he would protect our wall my father was a communist uh, but i uh, even then, I realized, uh, you know, if someone runs over the wall, my duty was to kill him. And I didn't like to do that. So I thought, uh, I prayed, I said, Jesus, I, I don't like to kill somebody. And, and so uh, if I don't do it, I, I mean, they would put me in jail. So I, uh, I prayed, and then one 
uh, day, one of the officers, he came to me and he said, soldier, uh, you, what is the right thing to do when you, someone runs over the wall? The right answer was, take my gun, shoot him down, and that's it. And, and then I, I tried that day, I don't know what, was, what happened to me, uh, I tried to make a joke. And I don't realize they don't under, understand jokes. And so he said, what are you doing when someone runs over the wall? I said, sir, I hang my gun to the next tree and I run with him. <laughs> that was a bad answer. <laughs> For the next days, I had to clean all the restrooms with a toothbrush. <laughs> they checked my, my, my closet and they found that Bible and they said, this is anti-communistic material. We have to confiscate that. I couldn't argue the Bible is anti-communistic, you know, anti-socialistic. I couldn't argue with him. Uh, but then uh, they treated me like a Christian. In East Germany, they hated Christians. The only reason is my explanation is because if you have a committed person, you can't control this person. You see the same thing with Muslims today. They blow themselves up. You know, because they believe in a higher uh, law. They believe really in their God. And we as church, uh, we should believe in the same way. Not to blow us up, but, but uh, what I'm saying is love people. Uh, be committed. Be focused. Build the kingdom of God. And, and so I, I, realize, I remember when the officers, when they had a big party, a, a lot of them, they drunk way too much. And then they vomited everywhere. Do you know who they called to clean up the mess? The Christian guy. Or one night I was in my bed and at two, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, some guy took me out and said, you have to water all the flowers outside. Water all the flowers. And there was a heavy rain. I said, it's not necessary. But they said, no, you have to do that. It's an order. Otherwise, you go to jail. Um, so they treated me like a Christian. They hated Christians because Christians, if you really believe, you can't control them. Um, when I came out of the army, uh, God spoke to me, start a church. I, I can't, I have not enough time to tell you the whole, whole story. Oh, we, we, we already, how, we, how many, five minutes? Okay, five, ten minutes? Okay, great. No, 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 no. I, I obey him. I obey him. I don't like to mess up the church. You know? Next week, some of you don't come and say, oh, we blame it to the German guy, you know. No, 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 no. <laughs> Praise God. What I'm saying is it's a good thing to buy my book then. Then you have the whole story. Uh, oh, oh, you already did. Okay, great. So what I'm saying is uh, God spoke to me, start a church. And it took me a while to understand uh, what I, I didn't understand the new church, old church, why starting a church. And uh, it took me a little while, but we started the church and then we invited people. We had an underground church. We invited people to our, uh, to our home, to our family, in our family room. And we had 35 to 50 people there and I was preaching to them. And then... Uh, after a while, somebody called me, uh, another pastor from another church, and also underground church, and he said, I have to show you something very interesting. Come tonight to my home. So I came to his home, and he showed me a book. Uh, it's called The Authority of the Believer from Brother Kenneth e. Hagen. Oh, yeah. And they smuggled that book in, 
And probably that book cha uh, changed so many Christians. Because if you are treated like a slave, you have the mindset of a slave. Uh, you didn't walk in your authority. You don't do that. Uh, because uh, even if you go today to uh, Eastern European countries, there are old people. They talk with their hand before their lips because of lip reading. Uh, so there was so much fear. But I believe that book changed people's life. And uh, they walk different, talk different, pray different. And um, so when I teach out of that book for a few weeks, uh, one day on a Sunday morning, I saw two guys in front of our house uh, with a fishing rod. There was a little pond, and they tried to catch a fish there. But I know there was no fish there. And I thought, oh, they're crazy. What are they doing there? So anyway, and a little bit later, these two people came by our house, took a little notepad out, and wrote down all the license plates. And I realized this is secret police. And now I was afraid because, and that was a checkmate situation, because I was not sure what they do. I heard from... Uh, people, the secret police, they took their children away, put husband in jail, wife in jail, and then gave their children to adoption to other parents, destroyed the paperwork, and even today there are more than 2,000 people, families, they're looking for their children because they can't find them. So I was really, really afraid, and I thought, I'm checkmate. And, and then uh, I prayed and I said, God, you know, it's nothing wrong to be afraid. It's wrong to stay afraid. You know, it's go to God with everything you have, whatever it is, you know, whatever you're facing. You have a different checkmate situation than I had. So, and I prayed and I said, Jesus, what should I do? And then I heard this voice in me, like, write a letter to the government and, and ask them for a permission to have the first non-denominational church in our country. We never had this before. So I wrote that letter. I didn't have the address from the secret police because they're secret. I put it in the mailbox and it arrived. Two weeks later I had an answer. They invited me to Berlin to one of these huge buildings. It was used by Adolf Hitler and built by Adolf Hitler before. Now the communists used it and uh, today, our government is using this. Anyway, uh, so I came to this building. The building was surrounded with cameras and guards was everywhere. Uh, they took our, my wife and my photo idea away, uh, put us in two separate rooms, and I was waiting there. And I thought, okay, that's it. Now they put you in jail. And I thought, I'm checkmate, but our God always has the last move. Always. He always, his king, you know, our king, has the last move. So, uh, after a little while, they brought us in that room together. And then they uh, questioning us. Then they teased us. They made real bad jokes about my wife, about me, even some sexual jokes. And it was, I was angry, really angry. And, but I couldn't do anything. So, and then they told us, they said, you will never have a non-denominational church. It is impossible. We already have too many Christians. You will never have it. And then they kicked me out. Uh, Brother Samuel, maybe you heard from him. Brother Samuel, Lester Samuel from South Bend, Indiana. He's, he's dead now. 
uh, he was my spiritual father. He always said, if somebody say it's impossible, that's the moment when God comes in. And so they kicked us out, and on my way out, uh, uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, prophesy. I didn't know what prophecy or prophesying, what it means. So, but I understand you speak God's will. So I laid my hands to that building and I said, Jesus, you are not a respecter of people. And then the cameras were zooming me, the guards running after me. What are you doing? And, and I said, Jesus, what you did for Moses, you can do for my people too. Let my people go. And then they kicked me out and my wife. And a few weeks later, the American president, Ronald Reagan, visited Berlin. He had his famous Brandenburg Gate speech. His advisors told him not to say these phrases, but I'm happy he disobeyed them and said, Mr. Gorbachev, if you seek peace and prosperity for Eastern Europe, and if you really seek peace, open this gate, and then the second time, tear that wall down. I was sitting on the other side in my Vietnamese working suit. I made a little antenna and looking at that speech, because it was illegal, uh, you, normally you, it was not allowed to uh, watch West German TV, so I was watching that, crying, and I said, God, how can it be? But two years later, the wall was down. Two years later, I was, on my, I was visiting uh, with my wife, her sister in Bavaria on the West German side, and the communists, the secret police, they told my wife, you will never see your sister again. And then on the first night, six million people crossed the, Berlin, uh, the, the border uh, out of 16, six million, left the country in one night uh, just to visit their family or going for a better life. And you should see these two girls hugging each other because they was told you will never see each other again. And that was my, I prayed and I said, Jesus, this is my time. I haven't told that to church this morning, but I said, Jesus, this is my time. I will go to America and I will uh, visit the Bible school and then start the church here. This is my time. And God said, no, it's not. Go back. There are thousands and thousands of people going this direction. And I was going back because there was a lack of pastors. There was a lack. Uh, there was so much to do. And you know, uh, God always, always was faithful to me, always. Uh, when they put me in jail, he was faithful. Uh, they put me one time in a coal mine, and God was faithful. They put my math teacher in a coal mine one time, and his whole mistake was he wrote a letter to the government because all his relatives lived in West Germany, and he asked them for permission to leave the country. They put him two years in a coal mine. And the West German government purchased him for $60,000. I called it slavery, modern slavery. And so when I came to the coal mine, uh, the officer, he said, you're a Christian, I break your faith. I make your life miserable. You will never forget this time. So I, uh, uh, that was, again, a checkmate situation. It was like on, with my back uh, on the wall. I couldn't do anything. But I had my Bible, and if you have your Bible, if you can speak in tongues, it's a great thing. So I was reading my Bible. There was 10 uh, guys in one room in the middle of that coal mine, and 
Uh, one guy was teasing me. He said, uh, oh, you really believe that old stupid book? I said, yes, I do. He said, you believe in angels, you know, that little fat babies with wings in the back? And <clears throat> he had these old paintings in mind, you know. And I said, if you see a real angel, you, you will, can't run fast enough to the restroom because your pants are full if you see a real one. <laughs> you know? I don't know if that's the right word to say, whatever, you know. But I hope you understand what I'm saying. Uh, so he left me alone, and I went to the restroom, and somebody tried to hang himself in that restroom. And so I kicked the door open, took him down, brought him to my room. He said, I'm, I said, why are you doing this? this? You do the communists a favor if you kill yourself. And he said, I'm tired of life. I can't. Uh, life means nothing to me. It's, it's over. I'm tired. I don't like it. They put my wife in jail. They put me in coal mine. My children, they live with our grandparents. Uh, he said, I'm tired. And I said, Jesus has a plan for your life. And I preached to him that night, and he got saved. So now, you know, uh, he got saved. I, I don't know... Uh, now I had one guy saved. Next night, I said, we come together, we will read the Bible together, we will have communion together, and then uh, we go from there. In two weeks, I had 25 people saved in a Bible study group, and it was wonderful. And now this highest officer came, or, uh, asked me to come in his office, and he said, you're a bad man. And he kicked me out of the coal mine. You know, our God, our God always has a last move. Uh, I finish. All right, uh, what I'm, I, you have to buy my book. So you have no chance, you have to do that. Uh, no, I think Dr. Barclay, he, he said it's a very faith-building and very good tool to evangelize people. It's very simple written, so everybody can understand that. Uh, right now, there's a lot of um, prisons. Uh, we uh, gave uh, 1,500, 1,800 copies to different prisons here in America, because I believe they are the last uh, ones in the society, and they need Jesus. ISIS is recruiting people in American jails and prisons, so uh, I think it's a great tool. So uh, if you know somebody, you can buy it, and it will be a blessing to you. But let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this privilege to speak in this congregation. Bless them. If you are here and you have this kind of, your back is on the wall, you have the situation where you have no answer. You don't know how to escape. If you're here, please raise your hand. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's bankruptcy. Maybe it's a marriage. There's one. Maybe it's a, uh, a marriage or a problem with the children. Whatever it is, there's one person. There's another person. Father, in the name of Jesus, there's another person. In the name of Jesus, there's another one. In the name of Jesus, I bless everybody in this room, especially those who raise their hand. You are the answer for everything. I am not the answer, and I don't have the answer. But Holy Spirit, I trust you that you 
uh, that our king has the last move and that our king delivered this people. I believe, Holy Spirit, I believe Jesus, Father God, I believe you. You always have the last move. Bless everybody in this room in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Please forgive me for being a Praise God. Well, let's give the Lord a hand clap today, Pastor Ingall. Okay, so we've got a couple of things we're going to do before I dismiss you. First, we're going to take a, an offering for Pastor Ingolf, um, and you can make everything out to SCF, and we'll make sure he gets it. So ushers, be prepared to, to go ahead and pass those. Um, and then while we are, are go ahead and do that, um, we have, are the children ready back there? The children are ready. Okay, so as we're receiving this offering... Um, we've got the children have got a little something special for you. So, all right, go ahead, guys. Wait a minute. Thank you. We've been working the last few weeks on the armor of God, uh, if you didn't notice. Um, and right now, I, I would just like to read the scripture that we have been working on. And this is from Ephesians 6, verse 14 through 17. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God.
Well, I want to thank you for, for taking the time with the children, and they, they made all these parts of the costumes, and, and then learning the scripture verse along with that. What a powerful, powerful way to teach our children. Amen. Amen. So well, let's give them a hand, Kyle. You guys look great. Well, let me pray for you and send you out of here today. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity. I pray for blessings over each and every person, safety and protection as we go. Lord, us just let us just continue to be your witness on this planet. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you guys.